This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. The United States men's national team is in shambles. Absolute shambles after a 2-0 loss to Canada earlier in the week. Now, no disrespect to the Canadians. They are getting better and better, in fairness. But, and it is a big but, a huge but, a massive but, the U.S. has no business losing to Canada. Not right now. All things being equal. The problem is, they are not equal for the United States men's national team. 2-0 loss, it might have been worse. No passion from the U.S., no vision, no urgency, no passing, no finishing, no chance. Credit to Canada, as I said, they deserved it. And they were the far better team. But hear that again. Listen to me say that again. Canada was far better than the United States. Now, immediately we think, well, what happened? If you didn't watch the match, don't bother. If you somehow DVR'd it and haven't gotten to it, burn your television. Metaphorically, of course. Get rid of it. Just delete it from your DVR if you haven't watched it yet. Don't bother yourself. It was that bad. And like I said, no vision, no urgency, It was just blah. Just a training exercise for the U.S. Well, they exercised themselves right into a 2-0 loss. Now, sometimes, now, as you know, in sports, and soccer's no different, not all losses are created equal, right? Not all wins. Same thing. Sometimes you play well, you don't get the result. Sometimes you play poorly, and you do. Right? Sports are not fair. That's not the point. Not all wins and losses... This one was an absolute debacle. It was a loss. This was a loss's loss. A disgraceful performance up in Toronto for the U.S. men's national team. Disgraceful. That's not too strong of a word either. A lot of times you probably hear me, you're like, oh, Denholm, there you go. No, it was a disgrace. Shame on all of the players who had the U.S. jersey on that night and Greg Berhalter and his staff. And, you know, the guts to go... I saw after the match, the U.S. players half-heartedly walked over to the American fans and were clapping. You know how you know soccer players do? And I understand on one level you're like, well, they wanted to acknowledge the fans that, that came up there and watched that mess. They should have been apologizing, not clapping to the fans. They should have walked over and said, we're sorry. They should have taken off their jerseys and given them to the fans because they didn't deserve to keep them on their backs after that match. It was so bad. Just a a disgraceful performance all the way around by the U.S. Now, again, one thing we always do, too, is who's to blame, right? Well, look, it's one game. You have to look at it in a bigger picture when it comes to a national team program. You just do. Not any one game, unless it's a World Cup final, right? Not any one game really determines it. Even losing to Trinidad and Tobago, which still pains me, to knock us out of the World Cup, in 2018, right, the World Cup 2018, even losing to... It wasn't the one game that cost us. It was the whole 10 in the hex that we were terrible, right? So it's never one performance necessarily. But where are we with Greg Berhalter? What do we know about this team any more than we have in the last couple of years? We don't know anything. Is it the talent's fault? Well, I submit to you this is one of the least talented teams we've had in a while. It is. And I like some of these players. 
Christian Pulisic, super talented. I don't care what's going on at Chelsea. He'll be fine. He's done very well for the U.S. men's national team most of his career. But guys like, and I'll call him out, Weston McKenney, really? Just because he plays in the Bundesliga? I'm supposed to always think he's so great for the U.S.? I haven't seen it. I know he lit up Cuba. Okay. I just don't see it consistently against good teams with him. Now, I'm not talking about a guy who had a bad game against Canada. Aaron Long, I thought, was not good. He's a good player, though. But I'm just seeing too many of these guys that just don't belong, and everybody somehow thinks they're so great all the time, wrapped up in the U.S. men's national team. Now, again, who am I? Greg Berhalter is going to make these decisions, but really? Do we not see these games and the performances, Greg? Make some of these guys pay by not giving them the job on the U.S. men's national team. But the one thing that threw me off big time during this night was as I'm watching the game, a lot of times what I like to do, and I'm sure you do the same, is follow it on Twitter too, right? I'm watching it, and I'm getting into the conversation myself. But this one drove me nuts. And it is a tweet from a guy who is a delightful fellow in in life, right? He is, okay? Before I even start out, I got nothing against him. I know him socially, or, or professionally rather. Never, a pro- I mean, no issue with him whatsoever. Delightful. But I do have to take umbrage with something that he tweeted, and that is Stu Holden, who works over at Fox, right? He, announcer, former U.S. men's national team player, former pretty darn good player. And in the midst of the game, I'm going to quote a specific tweet that sent me over the edge. And he sent it out during the game. He said, here's Stu Holden. The quote of the tweet is, at Stu Holden, we should be losing 3-0 to Canada. To Canada. How far we've fallen. That was his t- tweet. Now you wonder, well, Denholm, he's right. Ah, yes. That's not the point. That's not why I'm upset. And if you've listened to this show for a long time, you may be wondering what I'm, where I'm getting at with Stu Holden's tweet. At Stu Holden, in the midst of that game, tweeted again, I'll quote it, we should be losing 3-0 to Canada. To Canada. How far we've fallen. Why does that set me off? Well, I have to say, because Stu Holden was a part of something called the Athletes Council for U.S. Soccer. Do we all remember? Just a few years ago, right? We had an election. I don't even know if it was a few years ago. Might not even been that long ago. We had a new election for a president. And the Athletes Council, with their organization and, and block of votes, went a long way towards keeping the status quo by Carlos Cordero winning that election. Remember this? And a lot of people called Stu Holden out on it on Twitter, which I loved, that night. They specifically said, yeah, well, you were part of... And I, it just drove me over the edge. I'm sorry. How, how short-sighted is that of him? You had a chance to make these changes, potentially. But you thought the best was to keep the status quo. Well, here we are. Status quo. So then to call out... How far we've fallen? Come on. That's disingenuous. I'm sorry. And again, this is not personal. Let's keep it about sports, but come on. The Athletes Council has no right to talk. None. They gave that up. And I said that then. If you've listened to the show, you know I've been on that. They have no right to criticize. So there's a bit that I do when it comes to uh, sports talk or at least I used to when I actually was in doing general sports talk. Jobs in sports I know I can do. 
right? Based on all the evidence, these are jobs in sports that I know, Dave Denholm, I know I can do. Number one, president of the Knicks. No doubt. After that debacle recently. Number two, NFL referee. I could be an NFL ref, clearly. And number three, manager of the U.S. men's national team. It obviously is not that difficult to throw 11 guys out there and lose 2-0 to Canada. It, it can't be. Unbelievable. Still got the, plenty to get to. We're going to talk with Sebastian Salazar of ESPN about this U.S. men's national team disgrace. And we got to talk LAFC getting ready for the postseason. Mark Anthony Kay going out early with that Canada game. We're up to keep an eye on that throughout the next uh, week or so. And he went out early with a hamstring issue, it looked like. So, yeah, that's uh, not good news there initially. So we'll keep an eye on that. Plus, we'll have the black and gold breakdown coming up. And the Galaxy, of course, getting ready for the postseason. As the LAFC will eat the winner of that Minnesota United LA Galaxy game coming up on Sunday. Plus, more news around MLS as well. I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football in Southern California. ESPN LA 710. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710, the home of world football in Southern California, the home of LAFC as we wait to find out who we're playing in the first round of the playoffs for LAFC, the second round of the actual playoffs in the Western Conference semifinals. You'll hear it here on ESPN LA. It'll either be Minnesota or LA Galaxy. We'll break that down further. we got to break down this U.S. men's national team debacle against Canada. We talked a little bit about that. Joining us now, who better to talk to than the man who was there for ESPN and ESPN FC, a friend of the show, Sebastian Salazar. Seb, uh, sorry you had to be there in person for that mess. Quite frankly, no, you were working. I know you, you did a great job, but boy, that was uh, about as ugly as I've seen in a long time, Seb, for the U.S. men's national team. It really was. I think my colleague Ian Dark said it best. You know, he said it was a, a new low point, <laughs> and it, it really did feel like that, um, especially given just kind of where we've come in the two years. People are desperate for. Yeah. positive things to hold on to. You know, I, I think that's more what it is. When you look at what U.S. fans have been through on the men's national team side, um, there just hasn't been anything to grasp a hold of. Uh, there was a year of kind of wasted time. And in the years since, there's been maybe little signs of hope. I wouldn't even say progress, but really hope um, and talent. Only then to see that kind of come crashing down in the big moments against Mexico in a Gold Cup final or even Mexico in a friendly. And so I think this was a game that was meaningful, that was away from home, where you knew the opponent, for whatever limitations they have, and they do have a lot of limitations for, for whatever we want to say about Canada's young talent. They are still a team that hasn't been in the last round of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF since yep. the 1990s. So that's what Canada is. Um, the U.S. really, really could have lost that game by three or four goals if the Canadians had been just a little bit more efficient in front of that. So... Um, when you talk about not necessarily just results, but performances, and then combining those two together, you're right, Dave. I mean, you've really got to go back to some historic, historic low points, Cuba, elsewhere, uh, to think about something that has made people around this program feel this low. Yeah, it's exactly right. And the one of the reasons is, not, I mean, you've outlined a, a couple of really good ones, but one of the other reasons is, it, just the feel of it. We never felt it, it felt like we were never dangerous, never trying anything. It just it was an exercise in futility for ninety minutes. It just felt like a training, right? You know, a, a training day for the U.S. and Canada came to play. I don't understand that. I don't get that 
for guys who are certainly still have a name to make for themselves. This U.S. national team is not loaded with world-class players who are automatics by any means. It didn't make any sense. Right. Your point is so well taken, right? I mean, because so much of the argument is, well, you know, what is this CONCACAF Nations League worth? And, and the reality is that uh, the way the U.S. is positioned in terms of FIFA rankings, they don't really need the CONCACAF Nations League. And so from a team perspective, you might be able to make the point, well, the U.S. had nothing to play for. The Canadians did because to them, those points could get you into the hex, which means you have a realistic shot at making a World Cup versus probably not a realistic shot. Yeah. But the truth is, 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 is very, very well, well spoken in what you've just said, that there are so many players when you look at Greg Berhalter's team who don't have a lockdown spot in this eleven. Like the players themselves, the individuals themselves, um, whether they're being managed correctly or not, should be able to beat these Canadian players in kind of a one-on-one battle. If you look at where they play, if you look at what they're played, paid, excuse me, the American players are better. Um, and so an anywhere near motivated American player should be able to, um, if not produce a better result, mm-hmm. because results can, can come and go with fortune, produce a better performance. Because you can hide behind a result and say, well, things didn't go our way, but you can't hide behind the 90 minutes that we saw oh, yeah. uh, on that Absolutely. field in Toronto. If they, if they lose 1-0 and they're rocking the post a couple of times or they're barely, yeah. you know, a couple that of offside calls that, that like are not anywhere near no. Not even exactly right. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar, who was there, of course, working with ESPN. He's from ESPN FC and a friend of the show here. And Seb, let, let, let's let's bottom line this in a sense of, look, I still I feel a little weird saying, oh, Greg Burhalter has to go yet. I mean, I just do, I, and I'm not a guy who is nostalgic to keep a, a coach around too long. I'd much rather fire a coach too early than too late, as we've seen with the U.S. national team sometimes, but. I'm not ready to just throw away this whole thing with Greg Berhalter. He has to take a lot of the blame, but I still think those 11 or 14 guys have to take some of the blame, too. You know, we do keep coming up to, you know, this argument of kind of who is to blame. And and, and when the the patterns keep repeating themselves, like, okay, you weren't good enough to to, to get a win against what we've described as a Trinidad B team in October of 2017. Uh, In the Gold Cup, you kind of limped past Curacao, which you know is you know, uh, not a team that should be competitive against the United States at that senior international level. You do have to point at the players and say, what's up? Yeah. Here's the other part of that, though. Um, for the year that he wasn't given, um, or that he didn't take, uh, Greg Berhalter has had 10 months. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that you can say externally that we've seen in games that can really mark down his progress. Um, a, a one nothing loss against a Mexico team in a Gold Cup final that's missing a lot of its stars that could have maybe been 2 or 3 nothing uh, is not progress. A 3 nothing that could have been 5 nothing uh, in a yeah. friendly in September is, is, is not progress. Mm-hmm. Um, what we saw against Canada, first defeat against a Canadian team that um, hasn't existed at the senior international level in a decade, in yeah. 34 years, is, is not progress. In fact, it's, it's probably a sign of regression. So I get your instinct, which is to say, look, I've seen Greg Berhalter work in MLS. I don't think he's a bad coach. Given him enough time, things no, should work right, out though. okay, given the talent advantage that the U.S. has. But I don't know that if you saw what happened the last time around, you hang around like you did with Clemson until you have two losses at the top of the last round of World Cup qualifying, and then you're forced into another emergency hire. And I yeah. think that's very, very dangerous spot yeah. to be in. That's a great point. I, I can't deny that. I, and you know what? You've you kind of turned my head a little bit 
that if they were to do it, then let's just do it. If 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 somebody's deciding as soon as possible, Greg Berhalter's not the guy, then get it done. Problem becomes, Seb, you know this. Uh, obviously, I'm going to tell this to the audience. One of the dudes who would have to fire Greg Berhalter among them is his brother for crying out. I mean, what are we doing with U.S. soccer here, Seb? I'm shaking my head. It's so on so many levels. It's not just performances. It's not just a loss, a one loss to Canada. It's the whole structure now with Ernie Stewart and Jay Burhalter. We don't even know what's going on most of the time in soccer in America anymore. Right. I think, you know, the organizational diagram at Soccer House with U.S. soccer right now is, is under flux. And, yeah. and how Greg Burhalter's brother's role evolves is, is kind of yet to be seen. But he's a major player in the Federation. Um, and so I think it's worth acknowledging that whenever we do talk about a Greg Burhalter's future. But beyond that, um, you do have to ask yourself, do you trust the people at the Federation, um, whether the decision is to keep or fire Greg Berhalter to make it at the right time based on their track record, and then do you trust them to make the right replacement if they were to do that, again, based on their track record? And I, I would re- ask that question to American soccer fans. I would suggest that there wouldn't be much confidence in, in those folks and those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar from ESPN, ESPN FC. Check out that work, his work there. We love that uh, program, by the way. <laughs> love it, Seb. Um, it, what has been the reaction? Uh, you know, from people. Obviously, you're close with. You, obviously, you work with a lot of guys over at ESPN, ESPN FC. What? What? Where are we with U.S. soccer in terms of the the not the general public, but the people in the know? Well, I think there's, you know, just kind of an acknowledgement now about the, the questions in the talent pool. I mean, that's mostly what we were talking about yesterday, and then kind yeah. of the the difference between the reality in the in the talent pool and maybe what fans' expectations are, and maybe a little bit about what media's expectations um, have been. You know, Shaka Hislop, who kind of has that that Concacaf perspective, um, Trinidad and Tobago has always kind of looked up at the U.S. Uh, at least over the last two decades. Uh, used the word arrogant to describe not just the team, not just the federation, but kind of all of us that surround this thing and believe that it can be something greater than um, certainly what it is right now, but even greater than kind of what it's been at its peak, which is a team that's consistently in World Cups, a threat to get out of the group phase, and every once in a while a threat um, to reach a quarterfinal. I think the real, real truth about what everybody's feeling with this U.S. national team right now is that you don't know where the basement is. And that used to be the very, very core of the U.S. team. You always knew what you were going to get. And now, even against teams like Canada, and even against teams like Curacao, who are not regulars, again, in the final round of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, mm-hmm. you can't even be assured that the U.S. is going to have enough to give you a decent performance. And that is really, really scary. And I think everybody, fans, pundits, everybody can now has to acknowledge that. Great stuff. As always, Sebastian Salazar just cuts right to it. Check out his work on ESPN and ESPN FC. Seb, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, sharing your thoughts here. Of course. Always great to be with you guys. Great stuff from Sebastian Salazar of ESPN and ESPN FC. And if you don't watch ESPN FC as a soccer fan, well, you already do, I'm sure. But if you haven't, check it out. Go to ESPN Plus. Go to you know, find it. You will love the show. I promise you, Sebastian Salazar, always doing great work for ESPN and ESPN FC. Thanks so much for taking the time. we got black and gold breakdown still to come. And, of course, stoppage time. I am Dave Denholm. Check me out on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. This is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710.
Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Once again, thanks to Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and ESPN FC. Some good talk on the U.S. men's national team. If you missed any of that, you can always podcast the show each and every week after it's done. You can go to iTunes, go to ESPN Pod Center, search for Soccer Weekly with Dave Denholm. Subscribe, rate, and review, please. It is time now to really break it down on the Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this! Right now. And we talk with our dear friend Vince LaRosa from LAFC.com, at LAFC Vince on Twitter. Vince, let's jump right into it first and foremost, most importantly, off the pitch. How are Walker and Mark Anthony K doing? Walker actually back in full training yesterday. So great news after yeah. an injury that was pretty scary on, on decision day. We all saw him go down and um, tough one, but it, it seems like, uh, you know, obviously he had concussion symptoms. Uh, dealt with those, and, and now it's just a matter of getting getting back in his swing and, and getting his fitness going again. Uh, as for Mark Anthony K, you know, a lot of people saw that Canada U.S. game and saw him pull up before even 10 minutes into the match. Uh, he's back. Uh, he's had a scan. Uh, he's officially going to be day to day. So good news is uh, it's not as bad as it seemed maybe on the TV initially, um, but you know he's gonna. It's still going to be some some time to get him ready. And luckily, we've had this this large break, so hopefully he'll be ready to go. Yeah, it's day to day, and we have a lot of days before we have to see the pitch again coming up on Thursday uh, next week, a week actually from tonight. So, Vince, as we look at it, the reason we obviously want to break, do black and gold breakdown with you this week is to discuss who we may be playing in that first round of the playoffs for us, second round of the playoffs for LAFC. We await the winner of Minnesota United and the Galaxy, the 4-5 and five with Minnesota United. And, oh, by the way, Defender of the Year, Ike Opara, who did beat out Walker Zimmerman, who came in second for that award. Uh, fair, though, that Ike Opara wins it after Minnesota United, Vince, improves dramatically defensively. Are they going to be just, uh, I mean... Not the underdogs, but are, is it still like Zlatan's game to lose here, even though they're on the road? I mean, that seems to be the conventional wisdom, right, Dave? Every yeah. time we, we think Zlatan's counted out, uh, he uses that as his fuel to his fire and shows us all that he is Zlatan and he can do whatever he feels. But part of me's thinking that this might be the end of the road for, for that type of thinking, because when I look at Minnesota and I look at the matchup, mm-hmm. um, as, as it pertains to just kind of you know comparing the lines and who's going up against who, it's not. It's not great. It's not a great matchup for Zlatan to to line up with Par, Who, man, when you talk about a guy that likes physical contact and doesn't mind a, a big body around him, Par is he's he's going to battle with you, and he he's not going to shy away from Zlatan at all. Is it fair? And that's a good assessment. I, I, I don't disagree. Is it fair to say, Vince, just the way the Galaxy play, that they can't win like one nil? Like that will just not happen in this match. If the Galaxy are going to win. It may well have to be a four-two, four-to-three kind of game. Yeah, they're going to have to. I think the Galaxy can't win one-zero, and they can't win unless Lawton scores. Yeah, um, it's really what we're looking at as a team comprised of one mercurial talent in Lawton, who I won't take anything away from how good he's been. Versus, you know, kind of the consummate ultimate unit. Um, so it's it's it, when you play the Galaxy, you play. Uh, you play Zlatan on offense, and then you play against ten guys uh, going forward because he's not going to put in a shift defensively. And if uh, and if Minnesota can really kind of kind of pack bodies in um, and get into moments of transition where Zlatan's not going to be a factor, then the Galaxy are going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and you mentioned Opara. I think Boxall's got enough physicality too to him. You know, they both can uh, take their shots at Zlatan. Vince, as we look at Minnesota United and the Galaxy. Give me a strength, the team's biggest strength and the biggest weakness for both sides as they get ready to go at it this weekend. 
I mean, biggest strength for, for Minnesota has got to be their durability to play as a unit defensively. Um, we saw that at, at home at Bank California Stadium when they took on LFC and, and handed them a shock 2-0 defeat. Um, they can really congest things. And, and, and when we talk about teams playing defensively, I know we talk a lot about just bunkering. Um, it's not just in, in putting numbers behind the wall. It's in the way that you do it. Minnesota has a real dedication to doing it. I think the downside of their play is you look around and you wonder, like, who's going to be the match winner? You used to say Darwin Quintero, um, but he's not really uh, top of mind for, for Adrian Heath as of late. So you've got to hope maybe Mason Toy comes back and is hot again. He's kind of struggled after a really nice streak. Uh, as for the Galaxy, you know, you always look at Zlatan. you got Zlatan. You have a match winner. You have a guy that on his own uh, can put two, three goals in the net. Uh, but if they have to defend for any kind of period or in any kind of space, uh, they're, they're, they're trouble. They're going to give up, like you said, this is not going to be a one nil victory. They're going to give up at least one goal. It's just a matter of how many Zlatan can put in on the other end. All right, let's get personal. We're talking with LAFC Vince, Vince LaRosa, a good friend of the show here on Black and Gold Breakdown. Uh, I, my answer, I'll, I've already said it on the show, but I'll save it until after you give me yours. Who do you want to win this game, Vince? Let's be honest. You've got to get personal with me. Uh, if I'm being honest, um, I prefer Minnesota to win the game. and It's not because I'm afraid of the Galaxy per se. It's just It, it always seems like in those matches that the, the football, the, what's on the field, uh, is, is always kind of secondary to everything else. And a lot of people love that. That's what this game needs. Um, I, I do think that as it pertains to derbies and instant rivalries, um, there's nothing that compares to what we've uh, kind of created in the space of less than two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it's just there's so much talk um, in the game. Sometimes they're just so mucked up, it just doesn't live up to it. So I kind of want to see Minnesota. I mean, they, they, they handed a loss uh, to us at Bank California Stadium. Um, the only one in the regular season. So, I, I, you know, there's definitely a, a, a chip on the shoulder for, for the team in that respect. So there's there's two storylines that are very big, but obviously the, the Galaxy LAFC would be the biggest one. Yeah, that's what I want. I'm a man who loves a good story, and you're going to have to beat them at some point, so why not now? And uh, let's just get that on. Although I don't mind Minnesota United either. I think they played the best game they could possibly play to beat LAFC at the bank one time. I don't know that they could do it again. The great Vince LaRosa. Vince, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. You can check out his work at LAFC Vince. And don't forget to check out the podcast over at LAFC.com. Vince does with Max Bredos as well. Vince, thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Dave, thank you as always. You bet. Still to come, we got the LA Care Injury Report and stoppage time. So you will want to stay right here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. This is Soccer Weekly. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of LAFC, ESPNLA 710, the home of world football here in Southern California. As we roll on, it is time now for the LA Care Injury Report. At LA Care, our mission has always been to provide quality, affordable health care coverage to all Angelinos. For more information, visit LACare.org today. LA Care for all of LA. You heard Vince LaRosa just in the previous segment on Black and Gold Breakdown. Give us an update on some injuries. Mark Anthony K had his... Uh, the hamstring that uh, forced him out of the Canada game, or at least we thought that it was the, the, the hamstring, he had uh, some testing done and is officially day-to-day. So with over a week now, I guess, well, a week to go until that game for LAFC, maybe there'll be enough time. Let's hope for the best for Mark Anthony. And Walker Zimmerman's back at training after suffering the concussion-like symptoms in that final game of the regular season, that terrible fall, man. So glad to hear Walker Zimmerman's doing better there. Now, of course, out for LAFC still. Javi Pettis and Josh Pettis 
had been listed without with the the MCL sprain sprain for Josh, and Javi had the long term ACL tear. Danilo Silva's out after having the lumbar surgery, the disc surgery. Josh Pettis still uh, listed as out. We'll see what happens uh, there going forward. LA Galaxy had a couple of questionable players, or at least listed as Roman Alessandrini and Perry Kitchen still. Minnesota United, by the way, as they take on the Galaxy on the weekend, have nobody listed on their officially on their injury report. So just to keep you updated on the two player or two teams that LAFC would face the winner of that. And as we mentioned, that game going on in Minnesota coming up on Sunday. And it is at Allianz Field, and LA, LA Galaxy are not very good on the road. We know that. Neither team is, Minnesota or the Galaxy. Of course, Minnesota earns the home field with the fourth seed. LA Galaxy, the fifth seed in the West. But they were just 5-10-2 on the road. One thing about Guillermo Berlusconi that we talked about, the manager for LA Galaxy, is he goes for the win. So you're never out of it against the Galaxy, but you can never really put them away, it seems, either. Right? Very difficult playing the Galaxy. They're not great. They got holes in the back. And a lot of that is just their style of play. They scored 58 goals, gave up 59. So a combination of 117 goals scored in LA Galaxy matches in the 34 games they played. 117. That is a lot in terms of combining goals. Not many teams are even up, up there. Honestly, even amongst the best, of course, LAFC scored 85, gave up only 37. But, you know, there's only, I think, Colorado. Yeah, Colorado's right there, even though they didn't make the playoffs because they gave up 63 goals. It's difficult to play those kind of games where it's just wide open. Scalotto's going for the victory no matter what. They only tied, drew three games this year. So it's going to be a wide open affair. I don't see how this game is going to end up on one nil or anything like that. And I just I just cannot envision that. I want the Galaxy to win to set up the LAFC Galaxy matchup. Now again, taking nothing away from Minnesota United. If you're listening as a Loons fan and you know you're sitting here, well, you're the you want the Galaxy to win, you're in LA, you're just LAFC voice of, you know, whatever. No, I mean Minnesota's they're tough as nails. No doubt. They are the only one who beat LAFC in the regular season in MLS play at the bank. But I want the matchup, not because it's easier with LA Galaxy. I just want that. I want that drama. Come on. It's not a lot of time to build up to it, mind you, because, of course, LAFC await the winner of this game. It's only four days later. But, man, I want it for the city. And again, I know you heard Vince talk about it. A lot of people don't like how there's so much drama off the pitch and even around the game itself, maybe a little bit too much. But okay, there's some of that, yes. That comes with it, admittedly. But I want the drama for the drama between the lines. That's what we need. MLS needs it. The city needs it. We all want it. Come on. It's the matchup we need. And I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, again, Minnesota will be no slouch. And LA, LA Galaxy don't travel well. Anything is possible. If there's one thing we know about MLS is that we don't know anything. Right? When it comes to individual games, generally speaking. For the most part, the one thing that's assured is we have no assurance of anything. These 7, 6, and 5 seeds could all win in both the East and the West. Nothing would shock me. 
in MLS playoffs. That's just it's not possible to be shocked. <laughs> it really isn't. At least it shouldn't be. You should know better. So LAFC await that. Again, good news with Walker Zimmerman coming back to practice. I mean, the black and gold, look, both these teams are tricky, right? They both beat LAFC this year. Only four teams can say that. Well, these are two of them. So it is not going to be an easy road for LAFC, despite being at home throughout whatever many games they can win in the postseason. And I think the team knows that. In fact, I'll say this, and I don't speak for the team here because they're going to have to stay focused. The first game LAFC plays in the playoffs against Minnesota or the Galaxy might well be their toughest game. I know pressure builds. I get that. Theoretically, the MLS Cup should be the toughest, potentially, whether it's New York or Atlanta or whoever in the East. could be anybody. But I'm telling you, the toughest playoff game for LAFC is going to be the first one. I really believe that. For a number of reasons. Just so much. When you're the number one seed, same thing really for New York. I mean, the number one seed in the East. A lot of it's built in and baked into being that number one seed. But more so for LAFC, setting all the records, doing all the... And and the two teams that you lost to, two out of the four with only suffering four losses, yet two of them are playing in the first round and you get the winner of that, the first game they play is going to be the toughest in the playoffs. I really have no doubt of that. And the matchups, too. It's not just about you know feelings or anything. No, the matchups. Minnesota, not going to be afraid to come into the bank and play that ultra-defensive style, hit them on the counterattack. LA Galaxy, no, they can still play wide open against LAFC and score enough to do damage and win generally, right? LAFC's never beaten them, so it's matchups too. I mean, it's going to be the toughest for the black and gold, so they're going to have to be ready right from the jump when it comes to the postseason, and of course, that game coming up on Thursday here on ESPN LA. We are the home of the black and gold. I am Dave Denholm. Oh man, just getting uh, just getting so fired up for the postseason, which of course begins on the nineteenth with games, four games in MLS on that very day. Atlanta hosting New England, Seattle hosting Dallas on Saturday, and then Toronto hosting DC, and finally wrapping it up on the West Coast with RSL hosting Portland. Well, not the West Coast, but you know, out west. And then on the twentieth, you have the two games: Philadelphia hosting Red Bulls and Minnesota and LA Galaxy wrapping it up before we get to the second round of the postseason coming up on Wednesday the 23rd and then the LAFC on the 24th. I am just super stoked. Hit me up on Twitter with your thoughts about the playoffs and the matchups themselves. What other matchups do you like? Besides the Galaxy Minnesota, is there another matchup that intrigues you the most? At Talk Soccer. I am Dave Home. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football in Southern California and the home of the black and gold ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly rolls on here on ESPN LA 710, home of LAFC. If you missed any part of the show, don't forget you can always podcast the show Soccer Weekly with Dave Denholm on iTunes or ESPN Pod Center. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you want to follow the show, what the comings and goings, and the very latest, you can always follow me on Twitter at Talk Soccer. It is time now for everybody's favorite segment. It is stoppage time. What time is it? It's stoppage time. Yeah, stoppage time. Yeah. Stoppage time. Right now. Uh, for some of the great musings of the world of uh, football, he is the host of Stoppage Time and the producer of ESPN LA's 
Soccer Weekly, and LAFC, the great Mario Rees. Mario, how are you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good, Dave. So pumped for uh, oh, MLS playoffs, baby. Cannot wait. MLS Cup playoffs. But let's look at the uh, top-selling jerseys on MLSstore.com. Mm. Top five MLS jerseys. Let's start off with number five. Bastian Schweinsteiger. Okay, he's a leaving Chicago Fire, retiring from the game, but a a legend in world football. That makes sense. Yeah, coming up at number four, we got DC United's Wayne Rooney. Sure, leaving for Derby County over there after the season, but yeah, huge name. You know, it's pretty amazing that those are five and four, Mario. Yeah, <laughs> two of the biggest names in world football over the last twenty years. So another big name here coming in at number three <laughs> in the black and gold is uh, Carlos Vela. Okay, yeah, well that makes sense. You see a whole lot of Vela jerseys. Anytime we're over at the bank and downtown, so. And at number two, we got Atlanta United's Joseph Martinez, of course. Yeah, when you're a team that averages, what, oh, 50-some thousand fans a game? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And at number one, we got, from the LA Galaxy, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, no surprise there, I'll be honest with you. With so many people who go to see Zlatan on the road, you know, they're only going to MLS games to see him there's a lot of those kind of fans mario i'm sure there's a lot of people who clicked on his jersey who really have never watched a game before he got here so you know that's the kind of superstar that he is so and that again that's that's from mlsstore.com right correct yes that's not all sources of jerseys but it it, it is a very good indicator of how immensely popular the great zlatan ibrahimovic is to be sure yes no doubt about that and i think a couple other galaxy players were on the top 20 right so uh yeah they're well represented there Nice. Yeah, we'll see what happens against Minnesota. Oh, man, I can't wait. Can't Uh, wait for that, Dave. I'm with you. I want another chapter of Galaxy versus the Black and Gold. El Trafico, LA Classico, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. We need it. Oh, yeah. Dave, did you get a chance to watch the uh, World Cup qualifier between North Korea and South Korea? No, I didn't because I don't think there was a broadcast of this game, Mario. Exactly. It was a 0-0 draw in front of nobody. The stadium was empty, and there was no broadcast of the game. That was what? In North Korea? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just think of that. They're still at war, technically. They never officially ended that war, the Korean War. These two countries, I mean, to say that this is a rivalry is not as ridiculous. That's not even, you know, absurd to even call it so mildly. You know, this is just... Whew. I mean, amazing that they have to play each other in these games, Mario. And in the, Dave, the, a Korean, the circumstances, I mean. Yeah, a Korean FA official actually said, uh, he was describing uh, the game, and he said it was like, he was like a war, he said. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that's at ESPN. Uh, I think Reuters had the story over at ESPN.com. Yes. Uh, Check it out. Yeah, I mean, that's just amazing. I can't imagine the pressure of that kind of game. I know, I mean, USA-Mexico is as good a rivalry on the pitch, you know, and off the, of course, it's one of the best in world football. It really is. And we, there's other ones, you know, country, but North Korea, South Korea, yikes. I mean, that goes beyond any kind of on-pitch stuff, man. That's just crazy. I, and oof. we see this every now and then in soccer where teams have to play in an empty stadium. That's got to yeah. be the weirdest thing to do as a player. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I think I called one of those over at Fox once. Uh, I think. I want to say that I did. It was like a, But it was like a European game, like a, a Europa League or something where one of the stands had to be empty. I think it was one of the Italian teams or something, if I'm not mistaken. I, and I, my mind is uh, is blanking a bit. It was weird just calling the game in an empty stadium, you know what I mean? Because there's just 
no life to it in a sense. In yeah, a weird no way. life. So there was nobody in the stadium, but this game also had no broadcast also. Oh, so. <laughs> man. Who knows? They might have just, it might have been like a war out there for those players. Oh, boy. I'm just amazing. I got to be honest with you. And, you know, North Korea and South Korea are certainly bitter, but they're both, both pretty good, too, actually. So it, it can be a little tricky, that's for sure. Oh, great stuff. As always, Mario, the great Mario Reyes with Stoppage Time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Vince LaRosa. Check him out at LAFC Vince and Sebi Salazar, Sebastian Salazar at ESPN and ESPN FC. We appreciate their time as well. As always, if you missed anything, go ahead and podcast the show, Soccer Weekly with Dave Denholm on iTunes or ESPN Pod Center. Subscribe, rate, and review. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710.